welcome to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Join us every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio for a look at the life, deeds, and words of Yeshua Messiah and his followers. From the Torah-centric Hebraic perspective, they were originally lived and written in. Today's program is on Luke chapter 7, verse 36, through chapter 8, verse 3. Please get out your Bible and follow along. How is the story of the weeping woman who wiped Yeshua's feet a living parable of Messiah's words, Wisdom is justified by all her children? What can the way Messiah treats women and the reason why they adore him teach us about real love? How can understanding Messiah's love help us to love God and to love our brothers and sisters? How can we walk in Messiah's love? Stay tuned throughout today's program for Eliyahu Ben David's insight on these questions and more in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through chapter 8, verse 3. Here's Eliyahu ben David. It's great to have all of you with us for something that we're going to be looking more deeply into, and that is why the women we find in the gospel so adored our Lord Yeshua Messiah, and in fact, godly women still do. And this is a message not just for women, but really for all of us to be blessed. His forgiveness is the beginning of a new life. We can have people that come into our midst, and many of us who are here, you know, we have things in the past that when we lived in darkness, and that's part of our past life, but when we come to Yeshua Messiah, that's over. And we're in a new life, and that's how we need to deal with one another. Because if we all started dealing with each other on the basis of our past life, where would we be? We couldn't even be together. Right? That's not where the truth is. That's not where the grace is. That's not where all the things are that we came to Yeshua to receive. So. I think that's really a great thing to think about. Let's take a little look at this, and I'm going to kind of try and look at this ultimately as a contrast between the people involved here. 
And so let's take a look at the verses. It says, one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered into the Pharisee's home and sat at the table. Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that he was reclining in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of ointment. Now, of course, we have to take these verses in sections each week. We can't sit down and do the whole of Luke all at one time. But actually, this whole thing that happened with this woman and the Pharisee sets up a living parable of what Yeshua had just said in the previous verse. That is, wisdom is justified by all her children. This is an illustration of the truth of that statement. We're going to see that, I think, as we continue. Here's some of the main verses from that previous section. The Pharisees and the Torah scholars rejected the counsel of Elohim. And then Yeshua, in rebuking them, ends up saying, wisdom is justified by all her children. And so we have a contrast in the story between the Pharisee and Yeshua and, of course, one of Wisdom's children in the story, which is a woman. Yeshua shows that notwithstanding this rejection by the self-righteous, God will be glorified in the salvation of a chosen remnant. Now, I'm reading here from Matthew Henry's commentary. So I think it's interesting how Matthew Henry saw this woman as picturing the remnant. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Wisdom is justified of all her children. There are those who are given to wisdom as her children. And they shall be brought by the grace of God to submit to wisdom's conduct and government and thereby to justify wisdom. We have here a woman who had a reputation of being a sinful woman. And yet, the grace of God through Yeshua Messiah totally changed her life. Doesn't that prove that wisdom is justified by her children? Totally different thinking than the Pharisees. And a lot of other people, I think. Now, here's more about this woman. It tells us the woman in the city who was a sinner. It wants us to know the woman was a sinner. Doesn't want to cover that up. <laughs> That's important to the story, that the woman was, in fact, according to Gill's commentary, a notorious sinner. She was well known through the community as a sinner, one that was known by all to have been a person of a wicked life and conversation, a lewd woman, commonly reputed to be so. No doubt, even to be seen on the streets of the town with this woman would 
be gossip <laughs> throughout the town very quickly. And people would assume the worst in this particular case. This is the kind of woman that we're talking about, the kind of reputation that we're talking about. And this is what makes the story so amazing, I think, this very fact. Because this story is telling us something different than what we really might hear in the halls of many different religious organizations. Let's see some more. Standing behind at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Gill's commentary says this, Christ lay upon a bed or couch, as was the custom of the ancients, both Jews and others, at meals, with his feet put out behind, and between the couches and the walls of the room there was a space for servants to wait and serve, and such are therefore said to stand at the feet. And the phrase is used as descriptive of servants in waiting. And in such a situation, this woman put herself. In this setup, which was common for meals, especially of those who had more means, one would not sit at the table the way that we do. Most of us, at least, I guess I don't know everybody because we have people that are tuning in from all over the world. But I know here, generally people sit at the table with a chair. So that's what we think of when we read it in the gospel. But this is actually what it was like. So when a guest is reclining at the table, you know, they can just easily choose things they want to eat and so on and engage in conversation. Meanwhile, on the outskirts of all of this would be the servants just waiting for the bidding of those who are there. And this probably accounts for why this woman was there or how she could be there, because she actually probably made a point of being one of the servants there. And that's why she could be kind of invisible to everybody, the way this seems to imply as we read this story. Now, there were other things that would happen, and we're going to kind of get into some of those things as we go along. But the thing that captures our attention here about this woman is weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. You know, a lot of times men see women doing things that they just don't understand. <laughs> you know, it's like they'll see a woman just sitting in a restaurant crying or something, and they might feel bad about it or whatever, but they don't generally in any way interfere with that. 
And so sometimes, you know, people just overlook it when someone is actually behaving like this woman, profusely weeping like this. And if the truth be told, a lot of times, some guys even think it's just crazy woman stuff. You know, women are kind of unscrutable to a lot of men, not really understanding their emotions. So, this did have meaning. This was not just crazy woman stuff. There was something going on with this woman's heart, right? For her to be weeping like that. But she wasn't just weeping. <laughs> it's just kind of amazing. So, we could ask these questions. Why was she profusely weeping? And how much must she have been weeping to actually wash his feet with her tears? That's a lot of weeping, isn't it? That's more like sobbing. And she wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. It's interesting. And then she kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. She had brought it in an alabaster uh, container. Highly expensive. She'd brought it because she wanted to do this. Quite a picture when you think about this. Surely she stood out from the other servants by her behavior, right? But she was, in some ways, doing the same things they were doing. Because it would be common for guests to have their feet washed, you know, in that culture. It's very dry. People wore sandals. And so it was common for guests to have their feet washed and so on, and maybe oil even applied. So that might have been happening with some of the guests, but not like this. This is a lot more personal, isn't it? A lot more emotional. Why was she doing it? What was she doing? She was serving him. She didn't ask him for anything. She wasn't doing it because she wanted something from him. She just wanted to serve him. Why is that? Well, we don't know exactly. We don't know exactly what had happened. But we do know that she sought him out to serve him in this way. So apparently, something had already happened by which she was greatly moved, that she was responding to, which was why she did this. Was she one of those people at the sermon that he gave where so many people were healed and demons were cast out? Was her heart touched by his words? Did she feel the love of God? Did she feel forgiven? Did she feel sorry for her sinful life? And 
see the light and wanted to do something to thank him. Whatever it was, it was something that did change her and obviously touched her very deeply, so much so that she felt she had to respond. So she just felt she had to serve him. I think some of us can relate to this, and other people really can't relate to it. You know, like, if you've had him touch your life in a really profound way, you know that feeling of just really wanting to do something to show him how much you appreciate him. And if you haven't had that experience, pray about it because you need to have it. It's really vitally important to you. Doesn't matter how long, by the way, you might have known that God is real or that the scriptures are true. We need to be touched very deeply within our heart by his grace to truly be changed. So if that hasn't happened yet, by all means, approach him in prayer and ask him to do that in your life. Just vitally important. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, see, now this is all going on in his head, right? He's thinking, this man, if he were a prophet, would have perceived who and what kind of woman this is who touches him that she is a sinner. This Pharisee can only see one thing. Am I right? This woman's past, this person's reputation. With no concern at all for her tears or motivations, the Pharisee assumes the worst. You know, it's so easy to think the worst of someone. Wouldn't it be nice instead to think the best of somebody? Noticing only that the woman is a sinner and that she touched him. What would that Pharisee have done if this woman had touched him? He would have freaked out. Right? He would have totally freaked out. And probably within like two seconds of it happening, no doubt she would be physically thrown out the door. So Yeshua sees all this, and he sees this heart motivation of the Pharisee, and uh, he decides it's time to take this Pharisee to school. He, Simon, I have something to tell you, he said. And the Pharisee said, Rabbi, say on. And here we have the parable of the two debtors. A certain lender had two debtors. The one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, in this situation, who is who? I think Yeshua is presenting this in a way that the Pharisee can understand. So he's allowing the Pharisee to think 
that he's the one with a little debt, and this woman is the one with a big debt. Personally, I think it's the other way around, and if that Pharisee ever figured out what happened, you'd really see some weeping going on. When they couldn't pay, he forgave them both. We don't have the case here of somebody who's free of all sin and has no debt, and somebody who's a horrible sinner or a horrible debtor. You don't have that. You have debtors in both cases. And are we not all debtors? Are we not all sinners? Do we not all owe a great deal to Messiah? But the question is, which will love him most? This is kind of a sore point. Do you mean that if I've grown up as a believer and I've tried really hard all my life to walk according to the commandments and to serve God, that this other person who's been a sinner all their life and is saved is now going to love him more than me? What can I tell you? That's what Yeshua is saying in this case. Does it always have to be that way? I'm thinking not. I'm thinking we have examples in the scriptures of people that followed Yeshua all their life with great love and passion for him. So I don't think this parable necessarily means that this has to always be how it is. But it does always give us something to think about, doesn't it? To think about, are we taking his love for granted? Because we don't want to do that. Well, going on, Simon answered, he, I suppose, to whom he forgave the most. He said to him, you have judged correctly. Now, what a kindly correction, I think, of Simon and his attitude. Very direct, and realize Yeshua is sitting at Simon's table, or laying at Simon's table, and correcting his attitude. And he needed it corrected. He needed to see the real situation, that he too is a debtor. But what is the emphasis here? I'd like to point out that the emphasis that Yeshua is putting here is on love. Uh, love on the part of those to whom the debt has been paid. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? And the truth is, Simon did not see that woman. Not really. He saw her reputation. He saw who he thought she was. But he didn't see her. I think it's so cool that Yeshua said this to him. Do you see this woman? Because he really didn't see her. But Yeshua did see her. 
And that's why she's washing his feet with her tears and her hair and anointing his feet. She got the message about Yeshua somehow, some way, that he really saw her and that she was accepted despite her past. And that totally pierced her heart and changed her life. What a difference between Yeshua and the Pharisee. The point that Yeshua is making is that the test is love for Yeshua. Not how perfect you've been in your life. You know, the religionists always seem to think that life is about some kind of checklist. Oh, I got that checked off. Now I don't have to worry about it. But love is never like that, is it? When do we love Messiah enough? That's a question I can't answer because I've never got to the end of that question. There is no enough, is there? I entered into your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Everything Simon didn't do, she did, beyond anything anyone would expect. So why was Yeshua there? Why was he invited to this man's house? Was it because this man had some love for Yeshua? I don't think so, because if he did, wouldn't he have done those things for Yeshua that were common to do for a guest? But he didn't do it. I think this man was just a very self-centered, selfish person, if you want to know the truth. I don't think it was just this woman. I don't think it was even just how he treated Yeshua. I mean, if you're not going to treat Yeshua with dignity and respect, who are you going to treat that way? I think he was just really a very selfish person. And you know what? Religion can do that to people. It can make people feel superior to others and therefore uncaring to others. That was the nature of that religious sect, you know, is to feel superior to others. So I think we see here this question about women is answered. This is why women adore him, because he really sees them. And I bet that there are a lot of women who would hear this or read this in Luke, and they'd totally understand what I'm talking about. Women put up with this a lot. And in fact, we have a feminist movement today because this is true. That for really hundreds of years, you know, women have been giving of themselves, and so often it's not even noticed or seen. 
it's part of what happens, I think, because of the fallen nature. It's not that the men in their lives want to be like that. It's that, you know, there's a lot of cares in life. There's a lot we have to get done. Besides that, guys a lot think a lot more about things than women do. You know, you got to fix the roof, you got to fix the car, you got to do this, you got to do that. You're thinking about the things you have to do all the time. But you guys, stop and look at what your wife is doing. She wants you to see who she is and what she's doing. That's not too much to ask at all. Yeshua did this, by the way. He was there talking to this Pharisee, okay, and eating his dinner. It doesn't say that up until this time he had one word with this woman. And yet when he's speaking to Simon, he is telling Simon every single thing this woman has done for him since she's been there. He didn't miss any of it. He knew all of it. How do you think that made her feel when she heard that? And I'll tell you this, that was far more than she ever expected to happen when she went there. She didn't expect to be noticed. She didn't go there to be noticed. It was far more than she thought would happen. It's not just women, but I think it's illustrated best with women that Yeshua saw the women who were around him for who they really were as people on the inside. Not like the Pharisee who had to have a box he could put people in. Oh, that person is this kind of sinner, that person's that kind of sinner, that person's that kind of sinner, that person's that kind of sinner. I see believers do this sometimes. And you know what? If you tend to be a person who does that, stop doing that. Yeshua does not do that. He sees people for who they really are as the individual they are. He is not taking each of us and putting us into some kind of a box, into some kind of a place where he can slap a label on us and that's who you are. That's what I'm going to deal with you as. He deals with people for who they really are inside. Is that a lot of work? Probably not for him, but it's a lot of work for me. It's probably a lot of work for you too. But that's what real love is about. That's what Messiah wants to teach us. And with his love flowing through us, all of this gets easier. Because we can start to see people with his eyes. And, you know, when you start to see people with his eyes, it all changes. You don't need all those boxes to stick people in anymore. He is not afraid of being judged because he loves people. I got to tell you the truth. When this happened, now, Yeshua's in his early 30s. When I was in my early 30s, if I had been there and 
this had started to happen to me with this woman, it would have totally freaked me out. And I bet you every guy here knows what I'm talking about. What are other people going to think when they see this? It looks kind of scandalous, really, doesn't it? You know what? Yeshua didn't care. He didn't care. Do you know that Yeshua never defended his reputation? Don't you find that amazing? He did things he was criticized for all the time, like this. And he never defended his reputation. In this scenario that we're looking at right now, where this man is thinking about Yeshua, oh, you're letting this woman touch you? Ooh, what does that mean? For many of us, the next thing that would happen is we would be defending ourselves, right? We'd be saying, oh, I didn't mean that. Yeshua never even thought about himself in all of this. Never at all. I think it's amazing, really. He didn't worry about being judged by other people. He just moved in the love of God in his life. That's what he did, and he let the chips fall where they may. And that's why some people were drawn to him and they loved him because they loved that honesty and that truth. And other people were just totally shocked by him and couldn't handle him. You see, he refused to be influenced by the sin-driven attitudes of the Pharisees and others who are like them. Listen, Yeshua Messiah kept the commandments. Is there any doubt any of us have about that? We know that. He kept all the commandments. Did he need what the Pharisees were offering, which was a hedge around the commandments? You see, that's what the rules were about. You don't let a woman like that touch you. That's part of the hedge around the commandments. Yeshua didn't need that. Why? Very simple. He had a pure heart. If you have a pure heart, then you don't need to have that protective barrier around you to keep you from being perceived as a sinner. Yeshua was often perceived as a sinner when he wasn't sinning at all. Here's a verse that I think is really interesting. Titus 1.15. Now this was from the Apostle Paul. It says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. Someone who has a pure heart, in this case Yeshua Messiah, is not going to become unpure because this woman ministered to him. Somebody who has an unpure heart, well, that's another story, isn't it? 
You know, think of the Pharisee. What would it mean if he had that kind of thing happening, where a woman of that reputation was touching him? You see, what he's doing is he's kind of transferring that onto Messiah, but that's not who Messiah is at all. What we really need to have happen is not have all this outward stuff we do so we look pure. What we really need to do is be pure, right? What we really need to do is be changed on the inside by the love of God. And that is a process. You don't snap your fingers and have that happen. We're in the middle of a very unpure world. But yet his word and his spirit do purify our spirit. And we need to keep submitting ourselves to that and truly be pure people. Not people who are pretending to be pure by keeping religious rules of conduct. Now, if anyone should interpret what I'm saying as saying that you can break the commandments of God, you're not hearing what I'm talking about. Because I'm not talking about the commandments of God here. Of course we need to keep his commandments. But I'm talking about all the stuff that gets added on because of people's lower nature. That stuff doesn't actually really help anybody at all. All those religious rules and stuff doesn't help at all. Putting a hedge around the Torah only makes it harder for you to get to the Torah, not somebody else. Yeshua said, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. He's acknowledging that she's been forgiven of her sins. And acknowledging that her love is a proof of it. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Love for him is evidence of salvation. If a person loves Yeshua, and they manifest that through what they do, that's how you know they're saved. They've been saved. They're not a slave anymore to sin. They've been saved. And now they belong to him. That's what had happened with this woman. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, I think when he said that, it was seen by the onlookers as if he was forgiving her sins at that moment. But what he had just said tells me this woman had already been forgiven. He is just stating the state she was now in. She had already been forgiven because that's what all that love was about that she was pouring out. An evidence that she had been forgiven. And that was the fruit of it. 
Those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, even when we are saved, we need to hear it. Right? And he said that to her. And now he's talking about faith. You know what? If you have a demonstration of love for Yeshua Messiah, you have to have faith. And faith comes out of love. Real faith comes out of love. And now she could go in peace. She was a changed person. She was. So, looking at this whole story, we have Simon. And Simon stands for the unloving and self-righteous who are ignorant of the love of Messiah. They may seem very religious. They may seem in many ways to have a very righteous life. And yet they do not know the love of Messiah. So they tend to be harsh. Thinking themselves undefiled. They are defiled in their minds. They can't even see what is truly pure. Because what is, was coming out of that woman was as pure as it gets, friends. Godly women avoid men like this, and for very good reason, because judgment is all those men have to offer them. Never the real love of Messiah. A woman married to that man, all she's ever going to hear is, well, you're putting on weight. I don't like that dress. Your hair doesn't look good that way. That man is never going to be happy with that woman. Don't be a man like that. And if you're a woman, stay away from any man like that because he's no good for you. This is the guy that sets the bar that none of us other guys can quite reach, right? But we have to keep trying because once you've seen this, you know that this is the right thing. Messiah. He's the son of man. He is the model man. An expression of the divine love. And what we see in this story is that divine love manifested among sinners. The love of Elohim, it's offered freely in no way due to our own merit. That's why this story is so important, because this woman has a notorious past. And I hear this from people, oh, all the things that I've done, he'd never accept me. Well, if you think that, you do not yet know the love of God. Because this is not about you at all in terms of you earning anything. You don't earn this. I had to learn this lesson in my life, and I learned it. This is not something you can earn. The love of God is freely given through Yeshua Messiah. And it is a debt you can never repay. 
Messiah came to save sinners. So that's why he came. So he's not turned away by our sins. And the truth is, he's dealt with them. He's dealt with them. And not only that, but he's not ashamed of us because of our sins. I love that part of the story. As you read this story, do you see even a hint that he's ashamed of this woman because of her sins? You know, I see that in a lot of the commentaries about this. The people writing the commentaries, they can't help themselves from slamming this woman because she was a sinner. And yet, Yeshua never did that. So it says to me that those people that wrote those commentaries didn't get the point of what really happened. He is not ashamed of you because you are a sinner. That's why he came. And he knows your struggles. Much better just to be honest with him about the stuff you're dealing with because he's right there to want to help you. Those who truly receive his love and forgiveness rightly respond with love, service, and obedience. It's what it makes you want to do. If you really love him, what do you want to do? You want to totally give your life to him, don't you? You want to serve him. What else could you do? To me, that's like just a given. That's what you do. That's what this woman did. Messiah's example for godly men teaches us to treat men as people and not as objects. Just a really important lesson there for men. And I have to say about Yeshua, he treated both men and women like this. He treated them as persons, as who they are, rather than treating them as some kind of an object, putting labels on them. He just didn't deal with like that. And we need to learn to do that as godly men. It's just so important. But this is especially important for dealing with women because women put up with this too much, just being dealt with like they're objects. And this has happened a lot. And, you know, they've rebelled against it, actually. And it's understandable. It's understandable that that has happened. It hasn't been good for them or it hasn't been good for men that that has happened. So we need to get back to Yahweh's order. That's the real solution to those problems. And you know what? We, us men, we, it's in our hands that we can do that. You know, we can change the way that we deal with women. And that's all they've been waiting for in most cases. And then it'll make life better for everybody. The woman here, she stands for all who see him in the amazing beauty of his unassailable character and are deeply moved and changed by his divine love. That's the weeping. You know, sometimes weeping's a great thing. It's a very cleansing thing when it's something real. 
She loved him because he loved her first. That's why we love him. Because when we realize that he really loves us, not just our exterior, but who we really are at heart, it's a deeply moving thing. I think it's important for us to realize she was not forgiven because of her love, but she loved because she was forgiven. Her love demonstrated in service was the evidence of her deep and heartfelt repentance. His grace evokes our love, then that love motivates us to learn of him with a heart to serve and obey him. That's really what we're doing here at Zion. You know, this is really all about loving him and the people who come here to serve all of you out there. The reason they're all here is because they love him and they want to serve him and build up his kingdom. And I know that Yahweh has places for all of you out there to serve with your neighbors and your community and your family. And I know that you feel exactly the same thing that we do. That heartfelt love moves you to want to find ways to serve him. And he's very good to provide those as we seek them out. And getting back to all of this story, the conversion of this woman of such well-known evil reputation by the love of Messiah for her a sinner is proof positive that wisdom is justified by all her children. Listen, you can take the Torah and you can recite all the commandments to people. And by the time you're done, if any of them is still in the room, they're going to be looking at you saying, what are you talking about? I couldn't possibly do that. You know, that's what the Pharisees were trying to do. That's what religion tries to do. Messiah's way of coming and bringing the love of God to sinners, that was wisdom. Wisdom far above that of the Pharisees. And that wisdom, that approach to dealing with a world full of sin is justified by all of wisdom's children, those that come to Yeshua Messiah. Now we've got a little more I want to share here. As we move on into Luke chapter 8, we have these few verses. And they describe for us Messiah's personal ministry team. And this too tells us a lot about Messiah's relationship to the women who became believers. Because his personal ministry team included women to give support to the mission. And so this is really interesting. And it says, It happened soon afterward that he went about through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of Elohim. With him were the twelve. Dot, dot, dot. 
So what it's telling us about what he did is he went on a tour through the cities and villages of Judea, bringing the good news of the kingdom of Elohim. How do you do that? How do you go on a tour like that? People have to eat, right? They have needs. Who's going to set up these meetings with people? You know, there's a lot to this sort of thing. You read a verse like this, you think, oh, this is what he did. There's a lot to organizing all that and making all of that happen. Now, with him were the 12. And we're going to see that he did equip them and send them out. But at this point in time, they're learning from him. They're coming to learn and to assist. That's what's going on. And then it says, And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. In the course of Yeshua's ministry up until this point, he had healed many women of various infirmities, and we have read about some of them. And he had cast out evil spirits. And these women who had been healed, who had been set free of demonic forces in their lives, they were like that woman we had just read about. They were moved from the heart to want to serve him. And he let them. He let them. Do you think that might have caused any kind of ill talk against him and the apostles to have these women traveling with them around all the cities and villages? It could have. Note the thing that held these women in common. They had all been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. They were serving in appreciation. They were not employees. They were volunteers. All of them were. They didn't get paid. None of them got paid. Not in money. They were storing up treasures in heaven. Is what they were doing. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Mary was from Magdala, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's a real place. Seven demons. I, at one time, had been in deliverance ministry. And I've seen people with demons. Controlled by demons. I literally can't think of anything worse that can happen to anyone. To be controlled by seven demons. I can't even imagine how horrible that would be to experience. If that were you, nobody would want to be near you. You would be impossible to deal with. You see, most people don't know it's demons. They think it's you. A person's life who is controlled by seven demons is someone 
who is totally miserable with no hope. Mary was delivered of those seven demons. Can you imagine that day? Can you imagine what it felt like for her to be released from the hold of those demons? <laughs> she must have felt like a thousand pounds lighter. She certainly wanted to serve, and so she did. She volunteered, and she stepped up. Then we have Yohanan, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward. A steward is an administrator. So the way this puts this, Herod's steward, this is likely the administrator over all of Herod's holdings. And since he was the king, that was a lot. And Yohanan was his wife. And she was traveling with Yeshua and the apostles, serving them. The Herod we're talking about is the son of the Herod that killed all the baby boys when Yeshua was born. This is Herod Antipas, Tetrarch of Galilee, born 21 BC and died at 39. All these people are real people, and we keep finding out more about them. Here is an ossuary inscription. Now, an ossuary is a bone box where the bones of the deceased are put and put away in the mausoleum. This particular ossuary was discovered in 1984 in Israel. It has an inscription, which roughly translated is, the ossuary of Yehohanah, granddaughter of the high priest Theophilus. This is likely who this person is that traveled with Yeshua. And Theophilus, we've noticed before. It's right in the first um, part of the book of Luke. The book of Luke is written to the high priest Theophilus. This particular Theophilus was high priest from 37 to 41 AD, according to Josephus. And Luke is addressed to him. So I think it's interesting that his granddaughter should here be included as one of the women that traveled with Yeshua and the apostles and ministered to them out of their belongings. And she was one or from one of the wealthiest and most influential Jewish families in that province of Judea in the 21st century because Theophilus was only one of that family that was a high priest. There was a, essentially a dynasty in that family. They were incredibly influential and well-known. And so she's 
the granddaughter, so she's from this wealthy family and very influential family, which is probably why she ends up being married to this high official of Herod's court. So here we have this woman, okay, this high-born woman traveling around with Yeshua and these fishermen, serving and taking care of them. What kind of a scandal do you think it must have been among the upper crust that this was going on? I think it's just really an amazing thing to think about. Yeshua didn't let that cause him to tell her, no, you can't serve in this way because you won't be well thought of. He doesn't stop people from serving that really want to serve. And think about what that was like for her. No doubt her name was really scandalized. So that's her. And then we have Shoshana and many others who served them from their possessions. So not only are they doing this service, but they're doing it out of their own possessions. These apparently were wealthy women, and there were more than the ones just listed. There were many other women. It's interesting that among the wealthy of that society, very few of the wealthy men responded to Yeshua Messiah. But apparently there was quite a large number of wealthy women, along with poor women and other kinds of women, that did respond. And these wealthy women had something to offer because they had their possessions, and so they served out of what they had. Pretty amazing a lot of love and appreciation in their hearts to do that. And I think we need to look at that today, because if Yeshua was not too proud to let these women essentially support his ministry so that he could do that ministry, then certainly there's a place for women today to have important roles in the management of the ministry today. And we have some really talented, hardworking, and qualified women working here with us here at Zion, and we're so glad to have them along with the brothers that work here too. Barnes has this to say, Disciples then believed when they professed to follow Christ that it was proper to give all up to him their property, as well as their hearts. And the same thing is still required, that is, to commit all that we have to his disposal, to be willing to part with it for the promotion of his glory and to leave it when he calls us away from it. The kingdom is worth so much more than anything that we have in this world. And when we come to Yeshua Messiah, we give everything to him. And we have this example of these women, that this is exactly what they did, even including their reputation in order to serve Yeshua Messiah.
So, I think we've learned a lot about why women adore him, and really, why all of us who know him do. Today's episode of Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Some of the scripture verses referenced in today's program are Luke chapter seven verse thirty-six through chapter eight verse three, Luke chapter seven verse thirty-five, and Titus chapter one verse fifteen. Further teachings and study materials on Messiah's love. Walking in Messiah's love, how Messiah sees people, how to see people through Messiah's eyes, how to treat people according to Messiah's love, how to treat women according to the Bible, the role of men and women in the Bible, the commandments of God, forgiveness, faith, and accepting God's love. Along with many other related topics, can all be found at our membership site, Zion Tabernacle. Sign up is free. Just go to zion.net. That's t s i y o n dot n e t. New programs on the Gospels will be airing every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio. Tune in next time to learn more Hebraic insights in the Gospels. Shabbat Shalom. Would you like to hear more of Eliyahu's teachings? Do you have a question or prayer request, and would like to get in touch with one of our volunteers for help, or do you just want to know more about Eliyahu Ben David and Zion Ministry? Visit our website at zion.org, where you can 
Listen to more teachings from Eliyahu Ben David straight from the homepage of our website. Check out our books, DVDs, internet videos, and other social media outlets. Learn more about Eliyahu and the Zion team on the About page. See what our ministry's mission is on the Remnant Vision page. Send a question or prayer request from our Contact Us page. Or click Join Us in the menu bar to learn about our community site, Zion Tabernacle. To find out more about Zion Ministry, go to zion.org. That's zion.org, spelled T-S-I-Y-O-N dot O-R-G. I love Yahweh, He heard my cry, He rescued me in my dark.